We have been talking about how spiritual disciplines help us to become better connected to God. And we recognize that we start down the road of using disciplines by recognizing that one of the biggest obstacles to us effectively growing closer to God through spiritual practice is our negative relationship with time, that we have to take time to be quiet and listen for the voice of God. A principle that we learned is that in our relationship with God, it can't be all about us talking, asking, and needing, coming to God just with our concerns, that we need to take time to listen. And in order to listen, we have to take time to be quiet. We need to quiet our mind, to quiet our hearts, and listen for God knocking on our door, asking if he can come in. We next discuss how important it is for us to stay connected to God through his word, that God's word is both instructive in that it tells us things we should and should not do, and descriptive. It illustrates the nature of our relationship with God and his love for us. God's word to us is like, is like water to a plant. A plant needs water to stay healthy and strong, and so we need to stay watered by the word of God. We need to stay connected to him by paying attention to the things that he tells us so that we can be spiritually healthy and formed in the kinds of people that he wants us to be. If we are not connected to him, we will dry up and blow away. Last week, we explored the role of prayer in keeping us connected to God. That through prayer, uh, we are getting to know God better. We begin to pay attention to what he's doing around us. Uh, Our eyes are open to where he is working and moving. And we begin through time to better align ourselves with God through prayer. Uh, The more we talk to him, the more we look for him, the more evident he will be to us. And on the flip side of that coin, God gets to know us better through prayer. He, he wants to have the conversation with us. He doesn't want to just read the book about us. So we are invited to tell him about all the things that are going on in our lives and to invite him into every corner. And that through this ongoing conversation, this exchange of information, we draw closer to God and he draws closer to us. So something that's really kind of occurred to me Uh, as we talk about these tools that we can use to help draw us into spiritual relationship with God, um, is that over my career as as a pastor, I've, I've talked to people who have been in all different sorts of places of looking to connect with God. I've I've talked with people who uh, are in places of desperation uh, or hurt, and they're trying to reach God, and they don't uh, feel like God is there. Uh, I, I've Sometimes these people, uh, myself included at different times, have tried to use these tools and uh, have tried to connect and and they don't feel like it's working. Other times I've talked with people who are just uh, frustrated, who who really want certain things to go their way or who are looking to accomplish things through God and, and, and are, have used these tools and they, and they don't feel like they're getting really, you know, the answers that they're looking for. And then there are other people, you know, who... Uh, are very casually looking to uh, connect with God and uh, have have tried to use these things, but they just don't feel like their relationship is growing. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that at different times in our lives, we are all in all kinds of different places in terms of wanting to connect to God and what we want to get from that connection and how we're trying to go about that connection and and how effective these tools are. And so something I want to point out to you, if you haven't really kind of processed this part of it yet, 
is that the effectiveness of these tools in drawing us closer to God is really dependent upon us. Where we are, what we're doing, what our motivations are, what our benefits are. And, you know, sometimes we can say that we want to connect with God when really what we want is for God to fix things in our lives. Like, it's less about... And we may not, I don't, I don't think we always realize this, but it's less about us connecting to who God is and what God may want for us than it is about God making certain things right or setting certain, setting certain things in order. So an interesting question, and it just kind of came up to me as I was sitting here this morning, is if these are tools to get us better connected to God, then how serious are we about being connected to God no matter what the outcome may be? What I mean by that is, are we serious enough to go through these things looking for connection without some sort of preformed idea of what that connection should look like or feel like or what the results of that connection is going to be? I don't know, that's a, tough, that's a tough question for us, I think. But I think it's especially important when we look at today's discipline. It is the discipline of fasting. Fasting, particularly as it's described in the Bible, is not for the faint of heart. But it is a regular practice within the relationship between God and his people. But it occurs to me that if we are going to start fasting, that we have to be really serious about connecting to God. Because this is the, that is the kind of tool that fasting is. It can help you connect to God. But it's a tool that transcends what it is that you may want or need. It's a tool that transcends maybe even the kind of connection that you're looking for. We'll get more into it as we go. You know, the interesting thing about fasting is that it's kind of taken on a new life within our culture. I don't know if you've paid any attention to uh, all of the different uh, health and weight loss, loss programs, but intermittent fasting is a hot topic these days that you give up one meal and it helps people lose weight and it's all the rage. Um, but fasting has been around for a long time uh, before just this last year. And it is a powerful spiritual tool that we can tend to overlook and that many of us probably don't use on a regular basis. So let's dig into what fasting is and see why it is such a potentially powerful tool in our lives. So first, what is a fast according to the Bible? Um, a fast is when one abstains from food specifically for a spiritual purpose. Uh, now, a fast is not a hunger strike, uh, which is where one abstains from food to gain um, sort of some sort of political power or to bring attention to a good cause. That's not really, that's not what a fast is. Now, in scripture, the normal means of fasting involves giving up food, uh, solid or liquid, but it does not include giving up water. Uh, there are biblical examples of what is called an absolute fast, which does include giving up water. 
Um, but in general, one would continue to drink water and just be giving up food in any sort of solid or liquid form. Most of the time, uh, fasting is a private matter between uh, an individual and God. Uh, but there are times when all of God's people participate in a fast together for a particular reason. Uh, there are no biblical laws that command fasting. So I just want that to be clear. But what else is clear is that fasting was considered to be a formative part of one's relationship with God and that people would do it as a way to connect with him. So whatever form it takes, whether it's private or together as a group or absolute or just giving up food, uh, fasting at its core is an essential, is a intentional offering to God of something. When we fast, we are depriving ourselves of something, even something that we need the most, like food, in order to recognize God's presence in our lives. So as we start to dig into this scripturally, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus is talking here and about lots of different things in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. <clears throat> when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will, be, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus recognizes in this passage that there is a component of physical sacrifice that goes along with fasting. And when you fast, you may genuinely be uncomfortable. But that's part of the whole thing. You are depriving yourself of something, and you are going to feel the effects of depriving yourself. If you didn't feel the effects, then the fast isn't really working. Now, the temptation, as Jesus spells it out here, is to let everyone know that we are spiritual by fasting. Uh, some were not even cleaning themselves up on the day of their fast. So the others would ask them what was going on, and, and they could then tell them, you know, well, I've been fasting. It's like, you know, Bryce, are you okay? You look terrible. Oh, I know. I have been fasting. But Jesus points out that the purpose of a fast is for you to come into a time of just you and God. The point of the fast is to draw you closer to God and not for you to draw attention to yourself. And if you are drawing attention to yourself, then something here is wrong. So here's the basic premise. You would give up your meals, and when you were supposed to be eating, you would go to God in prayer and you would focus on Him. When you would feel the pangs of hunger, you would seek out God and acknowledge that he is the giver and sustainer of life. So in fasting, we state that it is God who gives us what we need, and that even though we are not taking these, this food for ourselves right now, that God is the breath that we breathe, that he is keeping us alive, and that he is what we really need to sustain ourselves. That our need for God and his presence is even greater than our need for food something that we must have in order to survive. And it is through this mixture of self-denial and focus on our God 
that we are able to find a deeper connection to God that we wouldn't find under ordinary circumstances. Fasting then is a, is a practice that God encourages us to use for our spiritual benefit because it can benefit us unlike a lot of other things. In fact, Jesus assumes that we will fast as part of our devotion to God. Looking back at Matthew chapter 6, notice what he said in verse 16. He says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast or if you choose to fast. He says when you fast, which tells us something important, that, that Jesus considered fasting to be a normal and formative spiritual practice for those who are in relationship with God. Now, God commanded his people to fast regularly and often throughout the Old Testament. You can see examples of it all over the place. Jesus himself fasted in Matthew chapter 4 for 40 days when he went out into the wilderness. So even Jesus personally understood that fasting is an important part of even his own spiritual health. That when he needed to go and connect to God before he went out into ministry in the world, what did he do? He went out to pray and to fast. But fasting isn't something that we talk a lot about. Uh, Richard Foster wrote a book called A Celebration of Discipline, which I highly recommend to anyone who is interested in spiritual disciplines. And in his book, A Celebration of Discipline, he wrote that he could not find a single book published on fasting from 1861 to 1954. So basically the church didn't talk about fasting at all during that period. More recently, there has been an increased interest in the discipline of fasting, but we still have a long way to go if we're going to capture what the Bible says about how important fasting really is. So here is the main reason I think we struggle with the idea of fasting. Basically, it's this. We have to eat all the time. We are convinced that we have to have three meals a day along with snacks in order to be healthy or happy. I mean, seriously, think about it. If you are even kind of hungry, what do you do? You go and you get yourself something to eat, and most often you don't even think about it. I mean, maybe you're making healthier choices or not healthier choices, but it's irrelevant. If we are hungry, what do we do? We go and we eat. Think about how we describe our condition if we have not eaten anything in more than six hours, what do we say most often about ourselves? I am starving. Let me tell you something, folks. We are nowhere close to starving. And yet some part of us believes that we are because we haven't eaten when we are supposed to. The only time we choose to skip a meal on purpose is when the doctor tells us we have to because we're having some sort of procedure done. And let me tell you, we let everybody know how unhappy we are about skipping that meal. And you go to the doctor the next morning, did you not eat? Well, you told me not to, didn't you? You know how it is. We even have a word now to describe how irritable we get when we don't eat. The word is hangry. Now, this is something important for us to wrap our minds around a little bit here, is that really, practically speaking, we probably don't want to fast. 
And we have all kinds of reasons. My blood sugar will get too low. Uh, I'm going to be too hungry, and I'm going to be too this, and it just makes me angry when I don't eat. And just to be fair, I understand that some people have medical conditions where they can't possibly do a fast, complete fast from food. But all of this tells us something important, which is that we view fasting as a form of punishment and not as a form of spiritual enrichment. The idea of giving up food to us is something we don't want to do, and it feels like payback for something or some sort of cost that has to be paid, and we don't see it as a way to help us grow closer to God. So therefore, we approach fasting as something we don't even want to do in the first place. This needs to change. So why should you fast? What are the biblical reasons for fasting? besides just devotion and alignment with God, which is a pretty, I mean, those are big reasons there. Uh, There are other important reasons to engage in a fast. Um, Number one, you want uh, forgiveness or you have a specific request for mercy from God. Uh, Well, let's look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 through 23 as an example. Uh, David had just uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had killed her husband Uriah so that no one would know that uh, Bathsheba was pregnant with David's son. Uh, the prophet Nathan confronted David and told him that the child would die because of David's sin. So what did David do in response? He humbled himself before God, and he started fasting so that he might change God's mind about the fate of his son. So in this example, uh, fasting is not only coming into the presence of God— but it also takes on an element of repentance and humility before God. David was using the fast to show God just how sorry he was for what he had done and to ask God for mercy. Now, here's what's interesting about this example. God does not grant David his request just because David fasted. God had said, this child will not survive, and the child didn't survive. But when all that is said and done, David gets up, he washes himself, he presents himself before everyone else again, taking the punishment for what he had done, accepting that this is what God had knew needed to happen. And fasting was a part of that process of getting him to the place where he could accept God's will in that situation, even though God's will was difficult for him. There's only one instance of a mandatory public fast that fell into this category of asking for repentance, which is found in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27. The people were supposed to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. They did this because they were showing their sorrow at uh, the sin that they have committed that had been uh, uncovered over the last year. So that's one reason, repentance, uh, asking God for mercy, bringing yourself before him. Uh, Number two, you are looking for a blessing. Uh, Let's look at Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with our possessions. 
I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Okay, so here in this example, the people as a whole fasted because they wanted protection from God. They were traveling from one point to another. They wanted to show that God was with them. So before they left for the journey, they fasted, they prayed, they asked God for a safe journey. They humbled themselves before God by, by fasting and by praying to him. And in doing so, God gave them the protection that they asked for. Um, what's interesting to note here is that Ezra could have led the people in a different direction for help. He could have asked for um, soldiers or uh, you know, people to come alongside them from the king, but he wanted, again, to show that this was from God and that God was with them. He wanted the people to rely upon God and receive help from him. So together, they all fasted and asked God for help, and then God gave them what they had asked for. Okay, number three, you are seeking God's guidance or help in a particular situation. Um, we're going to look at the story of Esther here for this example. So in the story of Esther, an order had gone out to eliminate the Jewish people. Uh, Esther was queen, and she was Jewish, and she wanted to go before the king, who was not Jewish, and beg for her people. She could not go before the king unless she was summoned, but she couldn't wait for the king to summon her because all of her people were going to be killed. Um, She knew that she could be killed if she went before the king, uh, unbidden, but she decided that she had to go anyway. But before she went she asked the people to fast and to pray before God. From Esther chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Okay, so this fast is in response to a specific emergency, and it was an absolute fast. They gave up uh, food and water for this period of time, for three days. Um, it, was, it was in this case a sort of preparation for what God would do, uh, whether he would grant their request or whether she would perish by going into this place. So by fasting, what they were doing was placing the entire situation in God's hands and letting him do as he would. But again, hoping that God would bless what it was that they felt that they need to do. Okay, so what does all of this tell us about fasting? Um, fasting is to be practiced with purpose. All right? Uh, the why of your fast is crucial to you having an experience that becomes formative. The point of fasting is not just to skip a meal and to pray while you're not eating. The point of the fast is to draw you near to God by drawing every part of you into into communion with Him. And so if you are fasting for any other reason than to draw yourself closer to God, then your fast will ultimately be useless. In all these cases we've looked at, These people are trying to connect with God for one reason or another. Let's look at an example of sort of the opposite of this. From Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. This is what the Lord says about this people. 
They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with a sword, famine, and plague. So Jeremiah was dealing with a people that were not paying attention to God at all. They were living their lives however they wanted to live their lives, but they were still going to the temple. They were still offering sacrifices. And more importantly, which is kind of shocking, they were still fasting. They were still giving up their food or whatever and saying, you know, this time or these things are an offering to God. They were still doing all of these things of worship. But God said that because of who they were, he would not listen to their cries. They had no purpose to their fast other than just to fast. And they certainly weren't trying to connect to God. Fasting is not a magic eraser that makes everything better. It has to come from a place of reliance on and a deep desire to know God. And the thing about a fast and what we do when we are coming to God in a fast is that God knows the difference between when we are genuinely seeking him and when we're not. And God wants something that's real and not something that's fake. He, he wants you to be seeking him through your fast. And if your fast is not a reflection of your deep need and reliance on him, then it's not going to bring about what you want or what God wants for you. Because fasting, again, above everything else, is an opportunity to draw closer to God by acknowledging who he is and by giving up something that you need to live and saying, God, you are the one who gives me what I need to live. So when we fast, we need to make sure that we are being intentional about focusing on him throughout the entire experience. And finally, by taking something away we gain an opportunity to do something good for God. From Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 9. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of, un of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and, and, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. I I love this passage so much for so many reasons. But again, God was frustrated that the fasting of his people was not being done in the proper way. So if you're fasting, you draw close to God, and while you are fasting, you're doing things that don't represent God, then your fast shows you're not drawing close to him. Their fast was not characterized by connection to God or by doing the work of God in this world. Instead, they were committing injustices during their fast. They were oppressing others during the time of their fast. And they wondered out loud why their fast was not working. We're humbling ourselves before God, but God isn't hearing us. Doesn't that sound like us? Well, I prayed about it. I even fasted. And God still didn't. He must not be hearing me or listening to me. I guess God doesn't answer my prayers. But God tells them that their fast is meaningless because they are not becoming more like God through their fast. They are not actually connecting to him. They're fasting because they want something and that's all they want. In contrast to what they are doing, Isaiah pointed out what someone who is drawing close to God would do during a fast. These people do not just humble themselves, but they become agents of God in the world during their fast. They are actually being formed by God in real time. It's not theoretical, it's real. And this is the kind of fast that God is looking for, a a transformative experience where one is drawn into the presence of God. And through this time, they become more like him, whether it's drawing their will in line with God's will, whether it's gaining perspective on what God is doing in their lives, even if things don't go the way they want it to, even if it's, it's accepting what God will do, even if the alternative is different than the alternative that we may be asking for or praying for. And then lastly, it's this movement of taking God into the world. I am denying myself, but I am lifting up others. I am standing up for the pressed. I am giving the food I'm not eating to those who don't have food. I am clothing the naked. I am taking in the stranger. I am doing all these things during this fast because this is what my God would do during this time. He would not sit in a corner and think about himself. He would go out into the world and change people's lives. So what starts as a place of self-denial, I am not going to eat so that I can connect with God, becomes self-denial that leads into a giving of self, a gift of who you are to others, because this is who God is in your life. We have done a terrible injustice to fasting by making it what it has been. And when we look at the biblical map of what fasting is and how it works, we see that it is a powerful tool to calm our spirits when we are far away from God, 
to draw us closer to him and whatever he may be doing. To open our eyes to the fact that he is God in every circumstance, in every situation. To better understand and accept whatever it is that he is doing in our lives, whether we like the result or not. To bring us in line with him and his purposes and his ways and to to put us in a place where he can guide us and give us the, the protection or the push or the nudge that we need. And lastly, to, to throw us into action as people who are a part of his kingdom here on earth. And when I think about all those things, all those reasons I have not to fast become suddenly very empty. Because the question, the core question lies, are you willing to make an offering to God? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to give up something that is a crucial part of your life in order to seek him and to align yourself with him and to find him? Are you willing to say that you rely on him first as your creator and sustainer? Giving up food is one of the best and most basic ways to do it. But let me tell you something. There are other ways. You can give up your phone. That's a tough one, right? But giving up your connection to everything else in order to be connected to God, undistracted before him. You can today fast from anything that would take your attention away from God during that time. But here's the thing that we can't miss. The denial, the the sacrifice, the what we feel during that time, that giving up of something powerfully reminds us in a way that very few other things do, that our life is in the hands of God that he is the one who is in control of all of these things. And that we submit ourselves to him. And here's the beauty, the wonderful thing about all of this. When we practice this, we begin to find that God really is the giver of all good things. That God is the one who sustains us. That God is the one who gives us what we need, whether that be correction or mercy or help or renewal in whatever form it may take. We find on the other side of this denial that God is not the one who empties our cup, but fills it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this tool that you have given us. God, we are not good at self-denial. But God, may we see that through self-denial, through giving up something that we need on an everyday, regular basis, God, we are acknowledging who you are and your goodness for us. God, may we use this tool to draw closer to you to know your will in things that are easy and things that are hard, to see you in times where we don't know where you are, to find you when our mind is so full and, and, and our lives are crying out for so much. And God, through this tool, may we find a deep 
and rich connection to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.